Well, hello everybody and welcome to the Darren Clarkson King podcast. I'm Darren Clarkson King and this is my podcast, but you guys know that. You know, the guys that subscribe, you've listened to all of them. If you haven't subscribed and you've stumbled across this, basically I'm a whitewater expedition kayaker based in the Himalayas, but when I'm in the UK, I live in North Wales, and I'm just going to talk about paddling. Okay, that's what this podcast is all about. We talk about boating and paddling and bits of every now and then. I got asked the other day why I continue to paddle class two. Excuse me, I was done with a drink of coffee. Why I continue to paddle class two. And people could tell you, and I'm sure many people would, that paddling class two is amazingly good for your skill. It's amazingly good for your technique, especially if you're advancing the grades. Obviously, if you're new to class two, then class two's a bit scary and horrible. And we've all been there. But myself, you know, I, I paddle extensively and I still paddle class two and I love it. And I, I don't use class two to hone my skills. For those that know me, I have a bit, bit of a strange paddling style, you know. My arms are pretty narrow on my blade, on my shaft, my blades. I paddle like a T-Rex making a bed. I don't paddle hard. I do long strokes and sit on a stern rudder quite a lot. I'm not very aggressive, you know. And uh, I'll happily just not follow any textbook. But why do I paddle class two? I paddle, I paddle class two a lot. I mean, there's certain rivers in North Wales that are class two or class three that I've paddled for over 20 years. And over that time, there's certain moves on those rivers that I really like, whether it be a nice little S turn from one eddy to another, or a nice little high cross, or maybe a few little eddy hops on attainment. And doing those time and time again gives a certain level of comfort. No matter how bad your day is and how bad your week is, if you get on that class two and you make those same moves that you've done for 20 years and you can still do them, life's all right, isn't it? Really nice. It feels like you're with, with friends, you know, like you're doing something that you're comfortable with, sliding in and out, and it's beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Now you can take that level of comfort to any river, I think, and then... You don't have that excuse for paddling badly when you're not feeling good about yourself. Well, lots of people do this. You go for a paddle and people miss lines or people, you know, fluff a stroke or whatever it may be. And it's because they're not in a good headspace mentally. Maybe there's work issues or family issues, personal issues. It doesn't really matter. And people have an excuse, you know, I'm not paddling so well today, you know, I've got stuff on my mind. But if you can do those moves on that class two time and time and time and time again for familiarity, when you then need to step it up, or perhaps you don't need to step it up, perhaps you can stay on this class two, when you do need to put yourself in that position again of making those moves, you're making them with familiarity. So you should in theory not fluff them, no matter how shit you feel and how not on the ball you are. But maybe that's just me. Maybe, you know, maybe it's just me that finds comfort in this familiarity. Maybe it's me that finds comfort in that same S turn that I've done for 20 years or that same high cross that I did when I was 16 that's still on that same river. 
maybe it's only me that really enjoys a nice long front surf on that wave that I've been surfing since before I can drive. I'm 44 now. I learned to pass my test at 18. So I've probably surfing that wave since I was 15. And there's a real nice comfort to that. And I'm not saying you know, I want to pull big blunts and cartwheels and all that stuff. No, I'm just talking about the familiarity of going into a river and just feeling comfortable with how it works. It's not about anybody else, is it? It's not about showing off. It's just about you sitting there, enjoying the, the feeling of your boat sliding in and out, enjoying the feeling of the water spraying in your face. If you get to speak to people in eddies, all the better. You know, if you get to ignore people, that's fine too. Excuse me a second, I'm just going to take a drink of tea. The coffee's there. When we are making these moves, and I think this goes for any river, not just when we're cruising around on our class too. When we are making moves and pulling out of eddies, I think it's super important, no matter where your headspace is, whether it be that you're there for a social paddle, or a solo bit of training, or whatever you want to call that, or a bit of coaching, or whatever it is, I think when we are pulling out of eddies, there's certain things that people tend to forget that people need to remember. And we need to remember to always look upstream when we're cruising out of an eddy. A lot of people forget that. And look, if it's a busy river, especially on artificial sites, I know it's in Britain, people tend to forget this. Uh, if, you, if you're about to pull out of an eddy, then you need to look upstream, make sure nobody's on a charging arc into your eddy, or is likely to come into your eddy. And similarly, when you pull into the flow, that you're not going to sweep in, and there's nobody in an eddy opposite that's going to come out at you, and vice versa. Those in the flow, you know, they can't stop. You're in an eddy, you can, you know, not set off. So I think it's super important that people do look upstream. I think it's really important when people surf waves and playing holes that you get out of the sodding way. We all love a surf and we all love to play in holes. But come on, people coming downstream have got right away there. You can argue with me, and you can argue with me all you like, but they've got the right way coming down. They ain't going to stop. You can get out of that feature. Yeah, your surf might only be a few seconds and you won't be to be longer, but you can go back in and have another go. On a busy day, it's what you got to do. You know, it really is. I also believe that if you are going out and just having a jolly nice time paddling on your local river, or, you know, a river that, you know, is well within your comfort zone, don't negate the fact that you're taking safety gear. You know, we all take safety gear when we're stepping up the grades, and a lot of people forget gear. Not forget, just purposely don't take. You know, people go, oh, I'm paddling my local rug, it's class two. I don't need to take my rescue kit or my throw line or this, that and the other. But you do. Because, you, yeah, you, you might not get in trouble and your mates might, might not get into trouble. But somebody on that river, especially if it's a busy tourist type river, you know, they need some help. I know that some of these artificial courses, these wet gyms, so to speak, have got bank support. But most of them don't. I had a bit of an issue with these artificial courses, these wet gyms. But, you know, maybe that's another podcast. Yeah. I've also noticed lots of paddlers at the moment 
a pattern with uh, earphones in and music on on white water. I'm not quite convinced that's a good idea. I sort of get it on flat water for training. It's like you'd wear your earphones and what have you if you were, you know, training for a marathon perhaps. And I'm not convinced you'd wear your earphones if you were climbing mountains. There isn't earphones, earbuds. If you were climbing mountains, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that you need earphones on for paddling white water or freestyle. But I've seen quite a few of late and I'd love to hear people's opinions on that. I'm not convinced. For me, having music on when you paddle distracts not necessarily from your paddling. I'm sure people, a thousand people will paddle better with music on. But it distracts from the environment. And I think it takes away you start the interaction with the environment, you know, especially interaction with other water users. You're not in a place where you can hear other water users necessarily, and that's really important. You know, you can hear their paddle strokes, you can be aware of where they are, if they're close to you or not. You know, that's, that's pretty important, isn't it? But, you know, what, what do I know? Not a great deal. I know this weekend is a, in the UK, for those that care about this sort of stuff, is the National Student Rodeo. Now, that makes me feel really old. I mean, super old, because I was at the first ever student rodeo, and the second, and the third, I think. I don't think I did the fourth when I did the masters, but I was at the first three, I'm pretty sure. I didn't get out of my uh, university canoe club at all, so I remember entering the competition. Uh, I went with a guy called John Smith Pies, and uh, he was at Chester Uni or something like that, and I was at Manchester Met, Corral and I entered under his university name, which in hindsight was, a, you know, a bad move, because it probably didn't help my uh, relationship with the club at the university, but then I wasn't a member of the club, so that was all right. But I think the uh, I got some sort of certificate or some medal or something, I think John ended up keeping it, because I never got it. I think it went to his uni in the end. But that was really cool. I mean, that's back in the day when, you know, we had topos. I'm pretty sure I used a topo for my first student rodeo. And a set of, uh, it must have been Werner's, must have had Werner's by then. Playboat play vest, which was a HF classic. Black Protec helmet with a stick on visor. Imagine that was a, definitely in there, you know. All that stuff would now be in the old school event, wouldn't it? But at 44, I mean, most of my paddling's old school anyway. I don't quite understand this new school cool. You know, I want to keep my head dry as long as possible, do a lot of paddle twirls. But no, I hope these students at the NSR are having a great time, and the paddling at Nottingham, I mean, it's probably the only white water course in the world where, you know, you can get Val's disease, leptospirosis, Val's disease, Lyme's disease, I'd imagine you can probably get you could probably get AIDS. You know, it's that dirty. But hey, what do I know? Not a great deal. I've not paddled Nottingham for years. I mean, yeah, years and years. But and people love it and that's fine. I paddle a lot in Wales and I'm sure you can get all sorts of stuff in Wales. You know. Probably can't get AIDS off the river, but you can, you might be able to get somewhere else, you know. 
all those jokes about Welsh people and sheep, I imagine. But anyway, I digress. I digress as normal. I've been uh, getting a lot of people asking me about gear. And as people know, this podcast is not supported in any way by manufacturers. Why would it be? Who's going to talk to me, give me kit to talk about? I've bought a lot of new kit recently, which is really nice. And uh, I have upgraded it from... The order I put in was for dark colours, and I've actually upgraded it to bright colours. I don't think it matters. I don't think... I think now, in this marketplace, there's no bad gear. I don't think there's a bad boat design, maybe for the last decade. I don't really think there's been a bad PFD or helmet or any of that for a long time. I think you've got to be sensible that you don't buy a black or white helmet for white water. For that obvious reasons, or you've got to be aware that if you're wearing dark colours, that you're a bit hard to see if you swim and all that sort of stuff. But you know, when it comes to actually buying a white water boat, I think for the last decade, white water boats have all been pretty good, providing you're buying one for what it's intended for. You know, I think for most people, a boat that was good ten years ago is still possibly good now. I don't think... The boat I use at the moment is probably the best part of a decade old in design. You know, I really like it. It goes forwards and backwards and stops. It boosts, it rolls. It crosses eddy lines and it surfs waves. It'll run the Glen pretty well and I can get ten days' food in the back if I need it. It's fine, isn't it? It's not a nine-foot race boat. I don't need a nine-foot race boat. You know, it's not a twelve-foot, you know... Ultra niche race boat, neither. It's got grab handles and a seat and a plastic step out pillow and a full plate footrest. That's sort of all you need in the boat, really. And I think people need to be aware that, you know, in a year's time, the boat that they buy is going to be superseded by another model. And I'm not convinced, and people can please, you know, can shout me down on this, that getting a newer model will make you a better paddler. I'm not sure it does. I think if your skills are up there, you can get the best out of the newer design boat. But if you're not, your skills are not 100%, the older design is probably sufficient for you. And I know the industry will probably tell me that I'm talking rubbish and that you need to have you know, new boats and innovation and blah, 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 blah. And I sort of get that. Uh, my two favourite boats at the moment, like I say, one's at least a decade old in design and one's older than that. But and the both seem to work, you know. They're pretty cool. And it's about this takes me back to familiarity. You know, I've talked about familiarity of moves on rivers and making you feel at home. I think familiarity of boat as well is a really nice thing. I'm not saying that people shouldn't chop and change the boats or jump into a different boat and all. I'm not saying that at all. But there's a certain level of comfort using a boat you've used for a long time. So it feels like part of the family, doesn't it? You know, you jump in that boat, you don't need to ratchet yourself in, you don't need to piss about putting new hip pads in, adjusting your thigh grips and all that. It's just sort of there and it just kind of works. And you know that. And it's lovely, isn't it? You know, you get in your boat and it just works as it should. And I really like that. Anyway... I've not got much else to say, but I thought I would rattle out this quick podcast, talk about NSR a little bit. In the future, I am going to do a podcast 
about the D-Fest, which will sound a lot like an advert for the D-Fest. And I hope it sort of does. I mean, I'm really hoping the D-Fest happens this year because the festival on the River Dee would be amazing. It'd be a delight, wouldn't it? It'd be an absolute delight. Delightful indeed. So, you know, we'll have somebody on this podcast and we'll talk about the D-Fest. We'll get Dave back on. And I know Dave's audio's a bit shocking, but anybody that's met Dave knows his audio's shocking. Anyway, it's not just down to the fact that he slouches on his surf while drinking rum and doing a podcast. But I might get Dave back on. I'd like that. Uh, we got, well, also, we're going to try and get Nick on an element from System X at some point. I want to talk to them about, you know, early days of rodeo paddling, which is now, you know, freestyle to you millennials. But back in those days, I think it might have been called hot dogging. Hot dogging and rodeo. We'll, we'll have Nick and Anton perhaps at some point. You know, I might just knock on their door in their office and we'll have those guys on. Uh, we'll have Baker on. I quite like Baker. Sean Baker. I keep mentioning Sean in these podcasts. And uh, I hope somebody tells him to play these and then we can actually have him on. Because, you know, he's quite influential. There is also a thousand people I'd want to interview and I'd really like some comments on this, like the lesser known icons of British or world paddling that we can bang on and learn some stuff that's not about millennials and social media and all that. I mean, the only reason I've got my smartphone at the moment is to do this podcast. I'm going to drop out and go back to a Nokia brick at some point, I imagine. Nokia brick. It could be any any old phone, couldn't it? I, sh- I shouldn't name drop brands. Nokia not going to give me a free phone. But uh, no, I'd, I'd like to get people messaging me about this, that and the other. And uh, maybe I'm just old and, you know, I like the nostalgia, but you know, as we all know, Nostalgia is not what it used to be, is it? But on that note, thank you for listening to me. And if you've not been listening to me, that's fine. I've been talking to nobody for 18 minutes, but that's fine. Anyhow, you guys have a great day, guys. You guys can have a great day. And uh, I might hopefully see you in an eddy sometime. If I do catch you in an eddy, I'm the guy that looks like a homeless Santa. Ask me some questions and we'll uh, maybe talk about it in the podcast. Anyway, have a lovely one. Ta-ra.